Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. What does Christmas mean to you? I think that question really depends on who you are and where you are in life. I think if I'm talking to a married person and I'm saying, what does Christmas mean to you? Christmas to means to you probably it means you got to get just the right present for your spouse. And you know you got to get just the right present. It's like Goldilocks' porridge. You can't get it too good and it can't be too bad either because if your gift is way better than her gift, you know you're in trouble. She's going to look at you. She's going to say, why did you give me that? I didn't get you something like that. How could you? You're over here thinking you did a nice thing and you did it. And if your gift is not on level with her gift, if it's less than that, then you're in trouble. You're going to be doing laundry for the rest of the month. And so you got to get that gift just right. If you're single, you could care less about gifts. You're just looking for some mistletoe. You know what I'm saying? Just looking for some mistletoe. That's all you're looking for. If you're a kid... Uh, Christmas probably means two things, okay, and neither of them probably have to do with church, and that's okay, you're a kid. It probably has to do with uh, Santa and presents, right? If you're a kid, make some noise if you love Santa, that's okay. Okay, Santa's cool. If you're a parent, Christmas probably means to you buying presents and making sure you get pics with Santa. Uh, We used to do that every year. My wife this year took it to another level. We used to do pics with Santa, and somehow my wife found an app that was FaceTime Santa. She found a FaceTime Santa app that records the video, and she showed it to my son and made them FaceTime Santa. And I thought it was so funny that I brought it. I want you to see it. Now, while you're watching this video, I want you to, it's my oldest son, I want you to keep your eyes on two things. One, I want you to look how happy he gets when he sees Santa. And then I want you to see how quickly that expression goes away when Santa asks him if he's been naughty or nice. Just catch that right there. It's hilarious. And then it's got very little to do with the sermon. I just think it's funny. So you're going to like it. I think it's a short, like 30 seconds. Can we show that real quick? Merry Christmas! (laughs) This is Santa Claus speaking. What's your name? Justice. Have you been naughty or nice this year? You're naughty or nice. Oh, ho, 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 ho. fantastic! <laughs> now tell me, what do you want for Christmas? Um, I want, Wait. I want the poke person that looks like a Say house. Say it again. It, it looks like a house. Okay, got it. I will see you soon. Merry Christmas and bye bye. He keeps he keeps talking like Santa's out. He's just like, no, don't go. It's the house with the clock and the and the thing. You saw when he said if you've been naughty and nice, he got all sad. He's like, I love my son. He's so humble. He's like. Like, what kind of standard are we using here? You know, like, Jesus standard, like, 
my brother's standard because I'm way better than my brother, but I'm not like Jesus. So where are we at? Uh, you know, I'm a pastor. I do this church thing for a living. I, I, do, I do Jesus. I, I live Jesus for a living. I, I believe what the Bible says about Jesus. And I'm not saying Santa's bad. Santa's a great guy, by the way. And, I'm, and if your kid's here, I'm not going to ruin anything. Santa's awesome. Um, the thing is, I just, I felt so convicted after we showed him that video because then from that point on, it was just all about Santa. And so I, I had a conversation with him, and I wanted him to understand the true meaning of Christmas, which kids, by the way, Santa is great, but, but Christmas is really about Jesus. And so I had to figure out a way to explain that to my son without, like, you know, structuring his world. And so I told him, I said, I, I, I picked the common denominator presents. I knew he's all about presents. I said, do you know why we give presents on Christmas, Papi? And he said, of course, why? And I said, the reason why we give presents on Christmas is because, and I thought I gave him, like, the drop the mic you know, like response. I told him, uh, the reason why we give presents on Christmas is because God gave us presents on Christmas. God gave us a present. He gave us Jesus. And I could, I thought like it was like, I thought he was just going to like just fall out, you know, speaking tongues, just all crazy. I just dropped the mic, Jesus, you know, and just see what happens, you know. And, uh, and, and, but unfortunately, he poked in my theology because he asked a great question, question all three-year-olds and four-year-olds asked. After I told him that uh, we give presents to people because God gave us a present, his son Jesus, he told me, he said, why? And I was like, that's a great question. Why did God give us Jesus? And uh, my first answer was, you know, I was tempted to go straight to John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I was tempted to tell him because God loves us. But I didn't want to go there because I knew his next question would be, and I don't know that I know why God loves me, to be honest. I make a lot of mistakes. I have a lot of errors. I'm far from perfect. I just wasn't ready to answer the question. Come back in three years, maybe I have figured it out by then. So I had to get smart again, and I had to kind of think around the topic. And so I told him, why did God give us Jesus? Uh, I don't know. And then I told him this, and, and I felt, and this is the word I want to I share with you today. I told him, he gave us Jesus because, because, because. In those moments, you know, when you stutter, you're either about to say something real dumb or something real smart. And, and thank goodness something smart came out. I told him he gave us Jesus because he promised that he would. Because God never breaks a promise. God never breaks a promise. I know Christmas for you probably brings back memories of eggnog and train sets and presents and cookies and warm cookies and milk, which we have for you, by the way, at the end of the worship experience. Uh, it's it's going to be good. Uh, but, but I would love to add one more memory to your memory bank when it comes to Christmas. When you think of Christmas, I want you to remember this. Christmas is a promise that God always keeps his promise. Christmas is a promise that God always keeps his promise. See, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, there was a prophecy that was written, and it went like this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The world was in a bad place. There was a lot of chaos going on. There was a lot of tragedy going on, a lot of sickness, a lot of disease, a lot of murder, a lot of uh, uh, just uh, thievery. It was a bad place, and in the midst of the chaos, God makes a promise. I promise I'm going to bring you someone, someone who's going to deliver you, someone who's going to save the world. And what I love about that promise is it didn't happen right away. It took hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened, but it did. 
in a manger when nobody was looking, when nobody was paying attention. It happened. God kept his promise. And that should encourage you today because as humans, we have problems with promises. We had some family friends of ours who were leaving the country. They were going to Mexico over Christmas break. We wanted to give them their Christmas presents ahead of time. And so my son and I, we packed their presents. I don't really know how to wrap presents, so we did the whole gift box thing, which is like a lifesaver for anybody who doesn't know how to wrap presents. You take a box, take some tissue paper, boom, you're done. And so we did that. We got three of them. They had three boys. We gave each one a present. But while we were giving the presents, my boys just started hysterically crying, just crying. I said, what's wrong? Christmas is about giving. They say, yeah, but if we give them the present, there's going to be no presents for me. And I tried to comfort him. I'm like, don't, don't, don't worry, Papi. Like, I, I, I told him, I promise your present is on the way. I promise it's coming. December 25th, you're going to get your present. And nothing would soothe him. But my brother, he got the present. I didn't get the present. I want the present. Where's my presents? And no matter how much I promised him, he would not take my word for it. And I learned something about promises, and I learned something about human nature. It's hard to believe what you hear when what you hear doesn't line up with what you see. I told him he had a present on the way, but no matter how much I said it, because he couldn't see it, he wouldn't believe the thing that I said. Now, I'm his dad. I have the power to give him presents. I have the ability. I don't have much money, but I got enough to buy that thing that he wants. I can do it. If I said it, I can make it happen. But because he couldn't see it, he doubted. And I want to encourage you today because, you know, in December, that's usually the time of the year where we start to reflect on the last 12 months of our life. And I think there's some promises that God made you. I think you've got some promises that you've been holding on into your heart for a long time. And I'm afraid that you're starting to lose hope because what you heard God tell you is not lining up with what you see right now. It's December, it's 2016, and you're still single. It's December, it's 2016, and you still haven't been able to have that kid. It's December 2016, and you still haven't been able to find that job. It's December 2016, and your son or daughter is still not serving the Lord. It's December 2016, and your husband is still crazy. It's December 2016, and you're still sick. It's December 2016, and you're still in debt. And God made you a promise. I'm going to get you out of that. I'm going to do this great thing in your life. But you're starting to waver because what you're not, you're not seeing what he told you. And I want to encourage you. If God told you he'll do it, he will do it. God does not break promises. He keeps every single one. He's done it. And I want you to understand that the Christmas story is not just the story of what God has done, but it is the story of what God will do of what God will do in your life. You know, I feel bad for those people in the Bible. For years, they had nothing but a promise to go on. War after war, they would pray, God, where are you? And God would answer back, I promised. Go read about it. Famine after famine, God, where are you? And God would say, I promised. Go read about it. Death after death, God, where are you? I promised. Go read about it. If God promised it, he's going to make it happen. Christmas is about knowing that no matter how long it takes, no matter how long you wait, God will come through. And that's the beauty of the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Now, if you're not new to the, if you're new to the Bible, kind of new to this Christianity thing, you think, well, what's the mix-up? Jesus' name wasn't Emmanuel. It was, it was Jesus. Well, in Matthew, it does refer to him as Emmanuel and Jesus in the same. But God couldn't call Jesus Jesus back then because Jesus' name doesn't mean God with us. Jesus' name means salvation is here. 
And so when Jesus came, that was the appropriate time for it. Jesus is here. God's here. Salvation is here. But back then, God knew that they would have to do some waiting, and he didn't want to be a liar. And so instead of saying salvation is here today, instead of that, he said, God, with us. You know why? Because it doesn't matter whether you get what you're looking for or not. God will still be with you in the waiting. That's significant, that God will be with you in the waiting. I don't know what the outcome of your doctor's visit is. God didn't promise a clean bill of health. Maybe it'll come, maybe it won't, but he did promise this. No matter the outcome of the doctor's visit, I'm with you. I I'm sorry that you're going through some divorce proceedings right now. I don't know what the outcome of that is going to be, but let me tell you, no matter what the outcome, God made a promise. God with us. He's going to be with you through it. He's going to be with you through it. I don't know how the bankruptcy papers are going to get filed. I don't know if you're ever going to bounce back financially, but, but it's not about the outcome. It's about the God promise that you won't have to go through it alone. That's the beauty of the name Emmanuel, God with us, regardless of the outcome, regardless of the bill of health, regardless of what happens in 2016. I can't promise you a lot, but I can promise you one thing, Emmanuel, he will be with you. In due time, the promise will come to pass, but while you wait, while your promise is in production, God with us. And like a, like a football handoff, the promise gets handed off to a young virgin named Mary who is living in Jerusalem. Matthew, sorry, Luke, chapter 1, verse 31. The promise finally comes, and it comes to a young virgin named Mary. And this is how it goes. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. Your Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Party time. Awesome. Christmas is happening. There's angels singing. There's shepherds dancing. There's, there's, there's magi. These wise men are coming, giving gifts. It is a beautiful, amazing time. That was Christmas. Here's the part of the story we don't hear a lot about, and that's the night after Christmas. I want to read... Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. I love what it says. When the music is done, when the ornaments are down, when the tree gets put away. Matthew 2, 2 13. When the wise men had gone. When the wise men had gone. Let's just pause there for a second. When the wise men had gone. You know, they, they came from far away to see the promise, to see this baby. But what I find interesting is that they didn't stay overnight. They dropped their presents off and they left. They didn't order up a hotel room. They didn't ask to, to stay a couple more days to see what would happen. In other words, they weren't expecting this baby to turn into a man overnight. You know what I'm saying? They didn't go away and say, hey, let's wake up in the morning. When we go back, it's going to be Jesus. But not baby Jesus. It's going to be big boy Jesus. It's going to be good. He's going to do miracles. It's going to be awesome. This thing is going to happen tonight. He didn't. Why? Because he knew that that was a baby that needed to grow up so that he could save the world. What am I trying to say? He understood that behind every promise, there has to be a process. They knew that, and that's why they went away. They knew that it was going to be some time until this promise came into fruition because Jesus wasn't quite ready just yet for the mission that God had for him. He was still a baby. He had to grow up. He had to experience loneliness so he could help people who were lonely. He had to experience sadness so he could help people who were sad. He had experienced betrayal so he could help people who had been betrayed. He had to experience poverty so he could help the poor. He had to experience uh, a, 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 just a hurt and pain so that he could help those who were in pain. 
God put a promise in your heart, but I want you to know the reason why your promise hasn't come right away is because there is a process behind every promise. And, and you're just not ready yet for the thing God has for you, but one day you will, and you got to wait. You got to wait. Zane's birthday was uh, in what month is it? August, August 30th. It's a couple months ago. And you get more than one, you just forget, okay? August 30th, August 30th, and uh, Rick and Serena, members of our church. Rick and Serena, you here? You here? You working? Uh, Rick and Serena called me up. They came to the birthday party, and they asked me, they say, hey, we want to get Zane something for his birthday, but we want to make sure you're okay with it. I was like, yeah, what is it? I've never been asked, like, permission before to get a gift for my kid. I'm just grateful you got him something. He goes, so you said he likes Ninja Turtles, right? I said, yeah. He said, well, they have these awesome nunchucks. And I think he would love these nunchucks. I was like, heck yeah. Truth is, I wanted the nunchucks. And so, and so I say, yeah. Liz said, what was, who was that? I said, that was Rick. He called. He wants to buy nunchucks for Zane. She said, well, you told him no, right? I'm like, yeah. But what happened was, he was kind of already at the register, and his card was like already swiped, and the refund machine was down. So it was like no way to get our buddy back, so he got the nunchucks. And she goes, he is going to hurt himself, and he's going to hurt his brother. I said, you're crazy. Pulled the nunchucks out. Within five minutes, knocks his brother out. I'm like, don't do that. He should apologize. I'm sorry. All right. Five minutes later, <laughs> hits himself in the face. Now, Justin's got a bloody nose. Zane's got a bloody nose. Everybody's bloody. And my wife is looking at me like, let me just tell you, the nunchucks have not been out since that birthday party, okay? I don't even know where those nunchucks are at. Why am I sharing this story with you? Because some of you guys, you've got a prayer that you've been asking God, and God hasn't been answering that prayer. And you think the reason why God hasn't been answering that prayer is because God's being mean to you. But the reality is God's not answering that prayer because God knows you're not ready for the thing that you're asking for. And if he gave you the thing that you're asking for, you'd probably hurt other people and hurt yourself. And so, and so somebody here is praying for a husband or a wife. But before you pray for the husband or wife, can I just ask you, are you really ready for a husband and a wife? Are you really ready for that? Because if you're not ready, you might hurt somebody else and you might hurt yourself. Somebody says, I want a million dollars. Brother, if I give you a million dollars today, you'd be dead in six days, okay? That is a fact. There are certain gifts in life that we are just not ready for. And so what God does is God puts us through a unique process, tailor-made for us to build the character within us that can withstand the glory of the blessing that he's going to put on us. He's got to prepare you. The thing that he has for you is so big, it's so great that if he gave it to you now, your knees would buckle, your back would give out. You start to cry because the weight of it was so glorious. And so God says, i got to put you through some stuff before I give you the thing that you want. But one day it's coming. Just keep believing. Just keep trusting. It's on its way. But I got to put you through the process. And so the process starts for Jesus. And the process starts for Mary. And the process starts for Joseph. 
Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. When the wise men had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. This is the night after Christmas. This is what they don't talk about. It's right after the three guys left. Three guys left. They dropped their gifts. Jesus went to sleep. The baby went to sleep. Joseph went to sleep. They woke up. Boom, to this. The very night right after. So you think they would have some honeymoon phase, you know? Like, you think they could have enjoyed the frankincense and the gold. You think Mary would have been back there putting some, you know, some myrrh on her. But no. No time. Right after this, actually the frankincense, right after this, he said, take the child and his mother and go to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for King Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And the process began. But what's interesting about the process is that they sent them back to Egypt. Egypt. Now, now I don't assume that anybody in this room today has, you know, an extensive uh, biblical history of the Old Testament. But you got to understand that Egypt is significant. It's symbolic. You see, the people of Israel, God's people, you and me, had gone through a certain process. At this point in history, Jerusalem, Israel, is a Roman province. And before that, like a state, but without all the rights. Before that, they were, they were run by the Greeks. And then before that, they were run by the uh, Persians. And then before that, they were run by the uh, Babylonians. And before that, the Assyrians. Before that, they were a nation. But before that, where it all started for them was in a place called Egypt, where they were slaves and in bondage. And so, so here's why, why this should encourage you, because you might be able to relate Joseph and Mary got all this great news. They got all these great promises. They got all these, there's music, there's angels literally doing a concert in their living room like it's crazy. All this glory, all this goodness, all this work only to find themselves right where they started in the beginning. Have you ever worked so hard, sweat so much, prayed so hard, read your Bible so hard, got around all the right people, did everything society told you that you needed to do to be successful, to pull your head off of your pillow one morning to realize you are right where you started? That you did not take one step forward, that you are right there? That can be depressing when you've been fighting something for so many years, or you've been wishing for something for so many years, and you look one day and nothing has changed, and you're right at the beginning. I mean, Egypt, you could have sent me to China, you could have sent me to, 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 to Greece, you sent me to Egypt, the place where all this started. It can be frustrating if you have your promise goggles on. Sometimes we need to take our promise goggles off and put on our process goggles. And understand, just because God said he was going to do it, it didn't mean God was going to do it right now. You know what? He's got to put you through a process. Egypt was a part of Jesus' process. Yeah. Because you know what? There were slaves in Egypt. There were people building pyramids. There were people doing things. And I can imagine little boy Jesus, because not right now, he's a boy right now. I can imagine little boy Jesus walking through the streets of Egypt, watching slaves. And I can picture his mother and his father walking by his side and saying, you know, that used to be us one day. You know you're here to save the world, right? You know that the way that that guy is carrying the brick, that somebody 2,000 years from now is going to be carrying depression. You know that, right? You know that this is what you were called to do, right? Don't, don't forget this. Don't forget this. They spent years in Egypt, but it was a part of Jesus' process that he could understand and appreciate the slavery of humankind so that when he grew up to save the world, he would say never again. You know what I love about the fact that Jesus grew up in Egypt? When he finally grew up, when he finally grew up in it, he never went back. What if the reason why you still are where you are is because God allowed you to stay there so that when you finally get out because you have been there so long, you never come back? 
What if? What if? You're saying, God, take me out of here. Take me out of here. I want my financial situation to change. I want my marital situation to change. And nothing's changing. But what if the reason why he hasn't allowed you to move on is because he wants you to really understand just how bad this is so that when things finally do change, you look back and you say, never again. I will not allow that to sink back into my marriage. I will not allow that addiction to come back into my life. I will not allow my finances to get back in that situation. I will not allow my health to slip back into the way that it was. Don't confuse. Listen, don't confuse. I know it looks I know it looks like a setback, but that's because you're looking at it through promise eyes. Sometimes the things in our lives that look like setbacks are actually setups. Sometimes you got to take a step back to go a step forward. Sometimes the starting line looks like the finish line. Have you ever seen a runner race and race and race? Have you ever noticed that they win right where they started? They crossed the line, but, 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 but that's right where they started. Yeah, but the only difference is a couple laps passed by. They're not the same person that finished the race that it was that started the race. See, you can't, ju just because you're right where you started, you can't judge what God's doing inside of you. God's been working inside. He's been building endurance. He's been building perseverance. He's been building strength. He's been building joy. Just because the line looks the same doesn't mean you haven't moved. You've moved. You've moved and you are not where you were. You moved. This is what's all happening after Christmas. Look, Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. We're still in this chapter of Christmas in Matthew chapter 2. Maybe you've never read this before, but, but read this with me now. After Herod died, Matthew 2, 19, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, which was Herod's son, was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And so having been warned in a dream by an angel, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophet. He will be called a Nazarene. So Joseph is done with Egypt. He's ready to go fulfill the promise. My boy is going to grow up to save the world. Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's go to the center of business. Let's go to where it's all going to happen. And on his way there, God says, no, not yet. And he gives Peter and Mary, he gives Joseph and Mary another detour, another delay. And I just want to say I have a lot of respect for Mary and Joseph because this is the second delay, right? This is the second detour. First, there was Egypt. Now there's Nazareth, which Nazareth, by the way, had a population of, are you ready, 400 people. Small city. Jerusalem is popping. Everybody wants to be in Jerusalem. Got the best food, got the best parties, got the best music. No, God says, not yet. You got to go to Nazareth. Well, what's in Nazareth? Nobody wants to go there, but they continue to hold on to the promise. You know how I know that? Because the Bible says that every year they would get up and they would go to Jerusalem to make their annual sacrifices. You know what they sacrificed? Two turtle doves, which by the way is where it comes from in the song. Two turtle doves. Anyway, they sacrificed two turtle doves. Every year they would do that. Every year, in spite of what they saw, they held on to what they believed. And I can imagine the devil whispering in their ear right before offering time. You're going to pack that bag again? 
Come on, what, they, what do you think is going to be different this year? You've been packing that bag for 15 years. You're going to pack that bag again? You know nothing's going to happen. Give up. Quit. Let it go. You're going to take off from work again and go to Jerusalem again? Come on, just give up on this dream. It was a, it was, it was a, it was something. You imagined it all. God is not going to show up. This boy is not the savior of the world. This boy is just a boy. You're going to travel all those hundreds of miles again for the 15th, 16th year in a row, for the 20th year in a row, for the 25th year in a row? What are you expecting is going to happen? This is not going to happen for you. And if that sounds familiar, it's because the devil does a version of that in our mind. Yeah, he does. You're going to put in for that promotion again? That's the third time you put in for that promotion. You're not going to get the job. Stop putting in. You're going you're to try giving a relationship a shot again? Remember what happened in the last marriage? Don't you think you should probably hold off and not? Maybe you're just not made to be married. He makes up crazy stuff like that. What does that mean, made to be married? I don't even know. Maybe you're not made to be married. This is your fourth marriage. Are you seriously going to try Again? You're in your late 20s and early 30s. You're still searching for a career, and you're going to start looking again? Bro, you're just not good at anything. <laughs> That's why you don't haven't found a job yet. That's why you haven't found a career yet. Just give it up. Let it go. Move back with mom. Not in my house. <laughs> you better get a J-O-B. You've been struggling with that thing for years, and you're going to go to church what are you expecting to happen? And here's what God put in my heart for you. And I hope that you leave here with this phrase. Don't let God's not now turn into the devil's not ever. Don't let God's not now turn into the devil's not ever. Because that's what he wants to do. You know that, right? God is setting up this whole process to build maturity and patience in you. But the devil wants to hijack that process and use the thing that God used to build you to break you. He wants you to believe that it's not worth it to just throw in the towel and give up now. But don't give up. Keep pressing. Keep pushing. Keep pulling. Keep fighting for your dream. Keep holding on to that promise. You want to do something great in this world? You think God's called you to do it? Keep fighting for that thing. Just because it's not now doesn't mean not ever. Don't give up. Because, you know, that's what happens when we believe that it's never going to happen. We quit. You know, it was three years. I was single for three years before I met my wife. Before that, I had a relationship like once a year. And then God kind of told me, like, you just need to pause and you need to fall in love with me. So I was like, all right, God, I will fall in love for you as long as I get to fall in love with an actual person. Like, eventually. Like, as long as that year one went by. Year two went by. Year three went by. You know, right before I left, right before I, I, I met Liz, I remember leaving the house one day. Just, just, I had just believed. It just got to that point where I was like, it's it. I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. This is what God wants for me. This is his plan for my life. You know, at that point, I'm so in love with the Lord. I'm like, whatever, this sucks. I'm mad at you. Your will be done. You know, like, it's one of those, like, whatever you want, God, but really not, please don't. And one of those things, you ever pray that prayer? We're like, God, do what you want, but not that. Whatever you want, God, but not that. I'll go wherever you want me to go, but not there. It's one of those things. And I remember leaving the house, just finally giving up, thinking, thinking, you know what, this is over. Uh, I'm not going to ever get, get married. This is just done. 
uh, and I should probably just 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 quit. And uh, and I and I left the house looking like a bum that day. Yeah, I I didn't put no gel in my hair. That's back when gel was cool. If you have gel on right now, you're cool. Don't be offended. Um, I had holes in my jeans before holes in your jeans was cool. I was wearing Chuck Taylors, but like at that point they were just Taylors. The bottom was ripped out like it was speaking to you. Just, just, just like, and I remember thinking, you know what, why even get ready? It's not going to happen. And I threw in the towel in my preparation, in my, in my, in my looks. And then, and then thank God I had a pastor who, who called me in to a meeting one day and he was like, you look like a mess, bro. You represent God, and you did that, you did this, and he got me right, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess I should brush my teeth. And so I got ready, and I got clean, and I got all this stuff, and I, and I started it. And you know what? Just a few months later, I actually met Liz. But what freaks me out is what if she would have met me before that conversation? What if she would have met me before that conversation, and, and, and if I had quit and I had given up? Here's, here's what I've come to believe. The promise is the place where your promise the promise is the place where your preparation meets God's timing. The promise is the place where your preparation meets God's timing. See, you can't control the God's timing part. That's on God. He's going to bring it to you when he brings it to you. But if you quit, you won't be ready for it when it comes and you'll miss it. And so you got to brush your teeth. And so you got to do your hair, and you got to put on the makeup, and you got to get ready, and you got to keep reading your Bible, and you got to keep praying, and you got to go back to school, and you got to keep studying, and you got to keep working, and you got to keep putting in for that promotion, and you can't quit, and you can't give up, because the promise is the place where your preparation meets God's timing. You just prepare yourself. You just keep doing what you're doing. One day that blessing is going to come right by, and you'll be ready to grab it, and you'll take hold of it. And God will do something powerful in your life, but not if you're not ready. Don't quit. Don't give up. Get prepared. Get ready. It's coming. It's on the way. Brace yourself. Study. Learn. Be approved so that God can give you the thing that he wants to give in your life. Do the preparation, and you have to sacrifice on the timing. You know, the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing, right? God's going to wait for the right time to give you that thing, but you got to be willing to sacrifice the time part. If you do the preparation part and you're willing to sacrifice the time part, you'll meet your promise in no time. If you're willing to sacrifice the time, you know, sometimes our biggest sacrifice to God is not our money, is not our obedience. Sometimes the biggest sacrifice to God is our willingness to wait. Sometimes that brings so much joy to God's heart. I love the story of sacrifice. One of my favorite stories that I used to think was in the Bible until I was like 20 years old, but it's not. I'm about to blow up some theology right now. The little drummer boy. Till I was like 20, I could have sworn that was somewhere in the Bible. It sounded so real and powerful. People used to tell me, who do you want to be when you grow up? Jesus, Moses. I was like, the drummer boy. Then my pastor told me one day, no, I was getting ready for a Christmas message. I was preaching at that point. And I was about to preach on him. And I was like, where is he? Where, where is this boy? Why can I not find him? And then it was like Santa all over again. Santa's awesome. The kids. 
what I loved about this story, though, even though it's not real, is that this boy comes to Jesus with nothing. All he has is a drum. And so he says, I got no money, I got no gold. This guy gave gold, this guy gave frankincense, this guy gave myrrh. All I got is my talent, so I want to play my drum for you. And the, and the story says, I almost said the Bible says, but it doesn't. And the story says that when I looked at the boy, he smiled. I just want you to know that when you wait, it's like a drum for God. When you say, no, God, not my time but yours. The rump of bum I, I feel like quitting. But you know what, God, I'm not going quick because I remember what you told me when I was 17, and I'm going to hold on to that promise. I know this is my second or third marriage, and things are getting dark, and things are getting gloomy, and I don't know what the future holds, but you promised, God, so I'm going to just sit here. I'm going to be obedient. I'm not going to chase those crazy things. I'm going to just wait. I'll wait, and I'll wait, and I'll wait. And i got to imagine that your waiting is like a harmony to God's ears. He sits up in heaven thinking, look at that. That guy's building something great. But you know what? It's not, it's not hard to build something great. What's motivating him is the greatness of the thing he's building. Well, look at that guy over there. He's, he's giving away all that money. Yeah, but that's not, that's great, but that's not really, really great. I mean, at least he's got money to give. But look at that guy right there. He's got all the angels in heaven huddled around that one guy who's just sitting. And the angels are all like, but, but, but why, why that guy? Why is that guy important? This guy's building something great. This guy's giving a ton of money. And they're like, yeah, but what you don't see is what's going on in his heart, guys. What you don't see is the battle happening in his mind and his willingness to hang in there and hold on tight because he knows I'm on the way. I value and I love the sacrifice of a person who is willing to just wait on God. Not to get ahead, not to fall behind, just to move on his timing. That's why that story is so passionate to me. So the next time you're waiting and it gets hard, just imagine that your waiting is not work. Imagine that your waiting is a song. Imagine that your waiting is a melody that brings joy to God's heart. You know, the last part of the process sometimes can be the hardest. And I got to imagine while all the Christmas stuff was probably difficult for Mary, always being on the run, going from city to city, home to home, you know what was probably the hardest? Luke chapter 3, verse 23. We're going to end with this. The worship team can come up. We'll finish soon. You know what probably the most difficult part was? Luke chapter 3, verse 23. Look at this. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Wow, 30. You think, well, why is that hard for Mary? Well, she was told when that baby came, hey, this baby is going to save the world. So you got to put yourself in Mary's shoes. Year one, he's just learning how to walk. Year two, finally, potty train. It's a crazy thought, thinking of Jesus. I don't, I don't want to go there. Year three, year four, year five. You know, he probably gets out of the kids' years, and Mary gives him that. But around year 12, it's bar mitzvah time. Yeah, bar mitzvah is when a young boy becomes a man. It's a big festivity. I bet Mary was thinking, inviting the whole town, you're going to want to come to my boy's bar mitzvah. I'm just saying, it might get crazy. Last time we threw a party for this man, there were angels, there was wise men, there were shepherds, there was a drummer boy. <laughs> Not really. You're going to want to come to Bar Mitzvah. The Bar Mitzvah is happening. The music is jumping. And Jesus is there. He gets his gift. Everybody goes home and Mary is sitting on her bed, scratching her head. But I thought he was going to save the world. 
whatever, let's give him some more time. 14, 15, 16, finally graduates from high school. Not really, they didn't have high school, but so that you know we're tracking. 17, finally moves on. Thinking, man, it's got to be now. He's, 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 he's got a job. He's a carpenter. 20. Now he's a, son, what are you going to do? You're going to save the world? Nah, mom, actually, I thought I'd get into carpentry. Carpentry? Boy, you're supposed to rescue humanity. Yeah, but I just really want to, like, build a chair if I can. Build a chair? You need to build a kingdom. You need to build... The whole world, what are you talking about, Bill? Yeah, 23, 24, 25. You haven't waited 30 years for something? And the Bible says he didn't do his first miracle till he was 30. His first miracle. I can picture Mary, like, creating scenarios in the house to make a miracle happen. Can you imagine the struggle? And then on top of that, having to look at him every day. You got to wonder, is this my greatest success or is this my greatest failure? Did I mess up? Did I drop the ball somewhere? God said it. Did I mess up? And every morning he got up to eat his Cheerios. Mary's over there on the other side of the table staring at him. I don't understand. Where you at? Why you not doing the things you said you would be doing? I don't get it. Here's the question God told me to pose to you. Because he had to live. She had to live with this. Every day she had to live with this. This is my question to you. Are you ready? This one's going to hurt. So just put on your big boy, you know, your bulletproof vest and just, because this one's going to hurt. Are you ready? You're not going to like this. Just don't leave. Promise me you won't leave when I tell you this. Are you ready? Here's the question God wanted me to pose to you. Are you willing to live with an unfulfilled promise? I didn't expect a lot of amens on that. I just want you to know. On the first two, there were a lot of, come on, yeah. That one is like, I'm not. Mary had to live with an unfulfilled promise, a halfway for 30 years. But she didn't quit, and she never stopped believing. You know what? That unfulfilled promise doesn't have to make you sad, by the way. That unfulfilled promise could be one of your greatest sources of joy if you let it bring hope rather than desperation. What do I mean by that? You know the history of the Christmas tree? So, so this started in the 1400s in the German church. German Christians used to get around and they used to set up a tree. They used to hang an ornament on the Christmas tree, but you know, before they were made of glass and before they were made of uh, lead, they used to be made lead in the 1800s. Did you know that the ornaments at that time were apples. The original Christmas ornament was an apple. That don't make no sense for you and me today because why would anybody hang an apple on their tree? But you got to remember this is a Christian holiday and these were very Christian people. This tree didn't represent whatever we think it represents today. This tree was a picture. Let me ask you, was there, can you remember one famous tree in the Bible that had fruit on it? Do you remember one? Yeah. Remember that tree back in the Garden of Eden? The one that Adam and Eve ate from and kind of ruined this whole thing? Well, did you know that there was another tree just a couple feet from that tree called the Tree of Life? 
And the Bible says that whoever ate from that fruit would have everlasting life, live forever. They put up this tree because Christmas was the promise fulfilled that Jesus came. But the Christmas tree was a reminder because the Bible says in the book of Revelations, and we won't go there, but the Bible says that in the end of times, God will restore this world. No more cancer, no more AIDS, no more poverty, no more child slavery, no more, no more debt. He will set the world right. And sitting in the middle of this world that he will set right will be a tree. A tree, the tree not just any tree, the tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden. They put the apple on the tree because the Christmas tree was a symbol of the promise that God would come again. That he would restore the world back to its original state. That there would be no more pain, no more hurt, no more sadness. That God would come and make it right again. Here's my question to you. When you looked at this tree, and when I told you about a famous tree in the Bible, probably 70, 80% of you probably thought, yeah, the tree in the Garden of Eden, that Adam and Eve sit and, and, and they fell. Yeah, but there was another tree, a tree that gave life. What, what am I trying to say? When you look at an unfulfilled promise, there are two ways to look at it. Everything that God has taken from you or everything that God is bringing to you. This can either be a reminder of what you lost a reminder of what you haven't gotten yet, a reminder of your singleness or a promise of your spouse. It could be the reminder of your poverty or the promise of your prosperity. It could be the, the reminder of your loneliness or the promise of the relationships. The tree is a symbol. God never breaks a promise. And I can picture, I can picture those, 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 those poor, those poor Christians huddled around their Christmas tree, you know, standing by the fire. They don't got a lot of things. And, and little Timmy, I don't know, Timmy, little Timmy comes around and he, and he, and he looks at it. Maybe this is the first time he gets the explanation, Daddy, I'm cold. Daddy, I'm lonely. Daddy, I'm hurt. Daddy, I don't have a lot. And his dad looks back at him and goes, yeah, but look at the tree, son. One day. Oh, yeah, he already came 2,000 years ago. One day. He's going to make this all right again. He's going to make it well. He made a promise. His promises are always sure. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us amen at journeyorl.com where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option or text journeyorl to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.